0: Good morning, and today's headlines today marks 22 years since the 9-11 terrorist attacks. We hear from people at Ground Zero who came to pay their respects. And a volunteer firefighter joins us to recall his experience on the ground the day nearly 3,000 people were killed.
1: President Biden is on his way to Alaska to commemorate 9-11 after finishing his trip in Vietnam. We have a reporter on the ground.
0: Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin uses his power to pardon in a controversial case involving a school bathroom rape, a so-called gender-fluid teen, and an alleged cover-up.
1: We have updates on the deadly earthquake that hit Morocco on Friday, which killed and injured thousands. It's the worst quake to strike the country in more than six decades.
0: You don't have to be an analytics genius to know social media site Threads is struggling. It seems internet socialites aren't feeling the FOMO. A professor tells us why Meta is still boosting the platform despite the lackluster ROI.
1: Winners announced for the 10th entity Chinese Classical Dance Competition. Who are the champions? Our reporter goes behind the curtain. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan.
0: Good morning everyone. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is September 11th.
1: Yes, and our hearts go out to the victims and their families who perished on 9-11 and that definitely includes all the brave first responders who went in.
0: Right, and those people that died from the after-effects from breathing in all those toxic fumes.
1: Yes, so many perished later on. And you know, Evelyn, I was actually there at the World Trade Center before it happened. Yeah, my dad brought us back and he wanted us to witness history unfolding at ground zero
0: well wow that's incredible now president biden is also heading to alaska to commemorate 9 11 and talking about president biden uh topping the news today is that his meeting to india and vietnam has just wrapped up that's as china came into the spotlight amid an unexpected meeting between president biden and china's number two Joining us now live is Entity's White House correspondent Iris Tao in New Delhi, India. Good morning, or maybe better, good afternoon, Iris. It's good to see you. First, can you tell us about what happened in India and Vietnam?
2: Good morning to you, Evelyn. So yes, the G20 summit in New Delhi, India here has just wrapped up. And President Biden said after the meeting that this summit was a really good moment for the U.S. to demonstrate its global leadership. And yesterday, President Biden headed for Vietnam to meet with the Vietnamese leader. The Vietnamese government announced that it's now promoting the U.S. to the highest level of relationship, calling it a comprehensive strategic partner. And the White House says that it also this marks a relevance. turning Point for the U.S. and Vietnam, which are at the point where the two are both trying to address challenges when it comes to the South China Sea, strategic partnership, as well as critical technologies. And President Biden, while in Hanoi, said this. Watch.
3: So this new elevated status, that the, uh, the force the prosperity and security in one of the most consequential
1: regions in the world.
0: And as Biden traveled to India and Vietnam, uh, China, whose leader was absent at the G20 summit, was dominating headlines. Now, how does China come into play in all this? And what did Biden say about it?
2: you're absolutely right so China was a big focus during these trips for example while in New Delhi India during the G20 summit President Biden really had this focus of rallying other countries to invest more in developing countries and that goal was ultimately to counter China's Belt and Road initiative and actually while in Vietnam as well the elevation of U.S. Vietnam relationship was really seen as a major move to counter China's influence in Asia as well so China of course was at the center of the spotlight here but Well, at a press conference in Hanoi, President Biden emphasized that he was not trying to contain China, but he did, however, call out China for trying to change the rules. Watch.
4: China's
3: beginning to change some of the rules of the game uh, in terms of trade and other issues. We're not looking to decouple from China. What I'm not going to do is I'm not going to sell China material that would enhance their capacity to make more nuclear weapons.
2: So President Biden also said during the press conference that he did actually meet with China's number two official Premier Li Chung, at the G20 summit. And that was unexpected because the White House kept telling us that the two did not have any plans to meet. And about that meeting, President Biden said it was not confrontational at all. And he said they talked about stability as well as other issues in the global south. So now President Biden is heading for Alaska, where he's going to commemorate the 9-11 me- the, the, the day to commemorate the 9-11 of course and he's going to get back to Washington on Tuesday so we're going to see him back in D.C. very soon. Evelyn.
0: Thank you so much for this update Iris. I hope you have a good trip home.
1: And as President Biden is heading to Alaska to commemorate 9-11 here at ground zero people gather to pay their respects to the many lives lost that day and all the people who fought to keep them from perishing. Entity Stephanie Cox spoke to people who came from near and far.
5: It was a very weary day. It's just very quiet, no planes in the sky. we're work in Tennessee, and it's like the whole world has stopped turning. We're here today to show our respect to
2: the lives that were lost, and the fearless firefighters and police, and everyone else who
6: put their own lives at risk and lost their lives save their fellow human beings
0: later on we'll have the story of one firefighter who on this who was on the scene at ground zero so stay tuned for that
1: yeah it just must be such a hard time for all the nypd and fdny right now
0: yeah incredible trauma that they went through
1: yes such brave souls and now we're going to look at Georgia's 2020 election case against Trump and 18 other defendants. Former Trump aide Mark Meadows has appealed a judge's refusal to hear his case in federal court after having his bid rejected on Friday. The judge's ruling could be an early indicator of how other requests will play out. NTD's Jeremy
7: Sandberg has more on Meadows' appeal. U.S. District Judge Steve Jones found the allegations against Meadows in the Georgia indictment were largely related to his political activities and not his role as White House Chief of Staff. Jones, an Obama appointee, says evidence overwhelmingly suggests the alleged overt acts were outside the scope of executive branch duties. Former Trump attorney Tim Parlatori reacted to the judge's rejection of Meadows' request.
4: When you have one person that goes kind of on their own and then gets knocked down, it certainly does have a negative effect on everybody else. Even though the judge says it doesn't affect the others, it does.
7: Parlatori says he's surprised how early Meadows tried to move his case to federal court alone. He says in most RICO cases, the defendants' attorneys will coordinate and then make their motions at the same time.
4: So instead of just dealing with one person, you can instead hit the federal judge with basically all of the defendants at the same time. And, you know, when you do that, you end up with a much stronger showing.
7: House Delegate Stacy Plaskett says it's a matter of the judiciary trying to uphold the standard of democracy in ensuring the guardrails remain
6: particularly in a post-election manner, trying to go to states to try and interject themselves in that. Um, Never mind being outside of the Hatch Act, it's outside of the scope of a federally uh, designated executive.
7: Meadows' appeal is directed to the Eleventh Circuit Court of Appeals. It has a reputation as a conservative court. Emergency applications that come out of its decisions would be directed to Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Meadows argues he was immune from state prosecution under the U.S. Constitution's Supremacy Clause, which puts federal law over state law because he was carrying out his duties as a federal official. Five other defendants have asked for their cases to be removed to federal court. A federal court could have a more diverse jury pool than in Fulton County, a democratic stronghold. Trump's lawyers notified the court he could also seek removal of his case to federal court in a court filing on Friday. Judge Jones is expected to rule on the petitions in the coming weeks. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News.
1: And the Georgia Special Grand Jury Report was released on Friday. It recommended racketeering charges against close to 40 people, 19 of whom were ultimately charged in the indictment. Some of the names include former U.S. Senators Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue of Georgia, as well as former Trump National Security Advisor Michael Flynn and Senator Lindsey Graham. Graham says he was totally surprised by the grand jury's recommendation. He says, he's, here's his reaction.
5: I thought I made it pretty clear that my phone call was to find out what I should be doing as a senator. I never suggested anybody set aside the election, I never said go find votes, I never said anything other than trying to find out how the mail-in balloting system worked. And I was really confused, and I still am, quite frankly. We're opening up Pandora's box. I think the system in this country is getting off the rails, and we have to be careful not to use the legal system as a political tool.
0: Graham testified before the special grand jury last year after the Supreme Court blocked his efforts to challenge it.
1: The Republican senator says what he did was consistent with his job duties and as chairman of the Judiciary Committee.
0: Continuing with politics, Republicans are calling for the impeachment of New Mexico Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham.
1: This after her emergency order suspended the right to bear arms in Albuquerque.
0: Grisham says she decided on the move because of recent shootings, including the death of an 11-year-old boy inside a minor league baseball stadium. On whether the move is constitutional, Grisham says there is one exception to the application of the Constitution, which is if there is an emergency. She added that she has declared an emergency. New Mexico State Representative Stephanie Lord called the ban, quote, an abhorrent attempt at imposing a radical progressive agenda on an unwilling populace.
1: And after the break, a matchup between Iowa's college football teams and 2024 GOP presidential candidates. We look at the weekend contest between GOP rivals in the Hawkeye State.
0: And Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin pardons a dad once labeled a domestic terrorist as a controversial case involving a school bathroom rape.
1: Affirm your child's gender or else. The California Senate passes a bill that could put parents into a moral dilemma to win custody. Stay tuned for that story. Welcome back. Presidential candidates crossed paths at a football grudge match in Iowa over the weekend. The game between Iowa University and Iowa State also saw another matchup between contenders for the GOP nomination. Former President Trump met with students and threw out signed footballs at a fraternity event before heading to the game. He was met with a mix of reactions from fans at the stadium at Ames where Iowa State was hosting Iowa University. Some audience members applauded and cheered, while others booed, an indication of the complex political makeup of the state. Other GOP presidential candidates were also at the game, including Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Asa Hutchinson. The state's primary caucus represents the first presidential contest in the nation. Trump remains far ahead of DeSantis and other rivals in the polls, both nationally and in the Hawkeye state. And now for a recap of campaign events over the weekend. We're starting off with some analysis of former President Trump's visit to Iowa. Lenny McAllister, a senior fellow at the Commonwealth Foundation, joins us live. Good morning, Lenny. It's great to have you with us.
8: Good morning. Thanks for having me, as always.
1: So, President Trump was seen working the grill at the fraternity house there. Do you think young voters have a liking to Trump?
8: I think that young voters like Trump's bravado, they like his image, they like his tough talk. That is something that resonated with him all the way back to you're fired and having the, the model wives that he's had. That's something he's had in his playbook, in his back pocket, if you will, for the last several decades. This is nothing new. So for him to go to a bunch of frat boys and say, hey, I'm rich, I'm married to a glamorous wife, I'm a TV, former TV star and I'm the former president of the United States, like me, of course that's going to work. And that's going to look good for him. It's going to give him that youthful look, which, by the way, from a strategy standpoint, was smart, especially if you're running against somebody whose image and whose reputation is very old for Trump to be around young people and look vibrant and young, that contrast that in that regard, that was actually a pretty smart move.
1: Yeah, I agree, because he is a multi-billionaire valued at about $2.5 billion, so it's important for him to show that he's a down the earth kind of candidate. Now, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, she's fighting to be Trump's VP, and President Trump was there this weekend. Can you tell us about what his message was to voters Friday?
8: I think number one is those are his people. we got to remember he did the July 4th speech there that was well-attended and well-liked, and it was kind of one of the momentous things of the 2020 election campaign that he was able to lean on. Christy Nome is a name that is known as a young conservative that people got behind at one point in time, was seen as being a possible presidential candidate for 2024. Her name has since waned from that type of pursuit. But people do believe that if they can get a younger current governor, somebody that can be that next generation of conservatives, maybe that's a good ticket. Remember, we were once talking about Nikki Haley replacing Mike Pence in 2020. So now that Haley's running for the presidency herself, this would make some sense if no one could kind of show that support. And honestly, you're not gonna bring along South Dakota voters. They're already with Trump based on the last two elections.
1: So let's go back to Iowa for a minute here. Governors Burgum, DeSantis, and Hutchinson, as long as long with along with uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, we're all at parking lots outside of the stadium where the Cyclones play. So is DeSantis going to be able to sell his Florida model to other Americans?
8: We'll find out because if, if we go back to even as far back as 2012, there was a guy by the name of Tim Pawlenty who came from what used to be a purplish state, Minnesota, who was ahead of the polls until he got to Iowa and fell flat on his face. And after that, situation, in that instance, it was the Iowa straw polls at the state fair. He immediately dropped out of the race. You're going to have to be able to sell yourself as a, as a GOP presidential candidate to middle America, those farmers, those very down-to-earth, working-class folks, just as much as you can win a purple state, a swing state, such as a Florida, an Ohio, a Pennsylvania. It's always great Santa analysis. Yeah, if he doesn't get that, if he doesn't get that formula, he's not going to be able to win and move forward from there.
1: I always appreciate talking to you. Lenny McAllister, senior fellow with the Commonwealth Foundation. Thank you.
8: Thank you. God bless.
0: Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin has pardoned a dad who was arrested at a school board meeting. The father was seeking answers about his daughter's rape in a school bathroom. Entity's Daniel Monahan has more on the case.
4: It all started in May 2021. Scott Smith's ninth grade daughter was raped in a school bathroom by a teenage boy wearing a skirt, reportedly identifying as gender fluid. Smith went to a school board meeting soon after the incident. On the agenda, a policy that would allow boys to use girls bathrooms and vice versa based on one's so-called gender identity. The atmosphere was emotionally heated and Smith got into an argument about the assault the grieving dad was charged with obstruction of justice and disorderly conduct and convicted of both. Governor Yonkin discusses Smith's pardon on Fox News. Mr. Smith did what any father would do, what any parent would do, was stand up for their child. The incident was later cited as an example of alleged domestic terrorism committed by parents targeting school boards. We it a wrong. He should have never been prosecuted here. This was a dad standing up for his daughter The case caused controversy due to the alleged behavior of school superintendent Scott Ziegler. One of Governor Youngkin's first actions when taking office was to order an investigation into the school's response to the assault. To uncover the fact that the superintendent had in fact covered it up. And he was immediately terminated when the final report from the grand jury was issued. Deputies ultimately arrested a male student in connection with the assault of Smith's daughter, but before that he was transferred to another school in Loudoun County and reportedly assaulted another girl. Emails from then superintendent Ziegler allegedly show he knew about the student's arrest, but transferred him anyway. A group of students later protested outside the school chanting, Loudoun County protects rapists. Smith reacted to the pardon saying, My family has been living a nightmare that no family should have to endure. But rather than sit quietly and take it, I decided to stand up against the government, and for that I was labeled a domestic terrorist and charged with crimes I did not commit. Smith also thanked Youngkin for his absolute and unconditional pardon. Smith's arrest at the school board meeting helped fuel a national political conversation around school choice and parental rights as well as the issue of women's safety in private spaces. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
1: A new California bill is putting parents who disagree with cross-sex procedures on minors in the hot seat. It would require a judge to consider if a parent affirms a child's so-called gender transition when determining custody. The bill passed the state Senate last week in a near party-line vote. Democrats argue the bill would help protect the well-being of LGBT children whose parents are going through a divorce, but critics warned the bill would reward parents in a bitter custody battle who allow their child to get irreversible cross-sex surgery or take life-altering puberty blockers. Elon Musk reacted to the news on X. He called the bill a wolf in sheep's clothing. The tech entrepreneur added, quote, what it would actually mean is that if you disagree with the other parent about sterilizing your child, you lose custody. Utter madness. Well, what this is actually doing is taking the decision-making process out of the parent's hands and giving it to the child, because if the child goes ahead and says that they're such and such person, the parent would have to agree in order to get custody.
0: Hmm. Well, maybe hence why uh, Elon Musk also says uh, wolf in sheep's clothing.
1: Yes. So we're going to the break now. Updates on the devastating earthquake that hit Morocco last week, killing more than 2,000 people. The death toll is expected to rise in the worst quake to hit the country in decades.
0: And nearly one million barrels of illicit Iranian oil seized by the U.S., the DOJ says the shipment was en route to China. Stay tuned for that story and more after the break. Good to have you back. A major bust by the DOJ, nearly 1 million barrels of Iranian oil allegedly bound for China. The agency says it's the first time ever that a company has been criminally prosecuted over illegal sales of Iranian oil in violation of U.S. sanctions. According to a DOJ press release, the crude was allegedly sold to China by the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, a U.S.-designated foreign terrorist organization. Court filings show that profits from the illegal sales support a range of malign activities by the company, including the spread of weapons of mass destruction and human rights abuses. U.S. US Customs seized the banned cargo in April from an oil tanker. Empire Navigation is the operator of the vessel. It pleaded guilty to smuggling sanctioned Iranian crude oil. And the death toll from the devastating earthquake in Morocco now stands at over 2,100, with thousands more injured. Friday's quake destroyed thousands of buildings. Rescuers have worked tirelessly to reach the worst affected areas,
1: and the death toll is expected to rise. Multiple countries have pledged to send aid and relief, including the U.S. According to WHO estimates, hundreds of thousands of people have been affected by the disaster. And today's cost m has the latest updates.
9: It's Morocco's worst earthquake in more than six decades. It struck just after 11 p.m. local time, with a magnitude of around seven on the Richter scale. Video footage shows people running to the outside to escape the falling debris in Marrakech. The quake's epicenter was around 45 miles southwest of Marrakech, a city known for its medieval mosques and palaces many of which were reduced to rubble, including a historically important 12th-century mosque. The quake also damaged parts of Marrakesh Old City, a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Survivors struggle to get food and shelter as rescue crews search for missing people in remote areas. The worst destruction occurred in isolated areas of the nearby Atlas Mountains. Communities in the area are difficult to access. President Joe Biden expressed his sadness about the loss of life and devastation caused by the quake. He told reporters the US is ready to provide any necessary assistance to the Moroccan people. According to US officials, a small team of disaster experts arrived in Morocco on Sunday to assess the situation. France says it stands ready to help and is awaiting a formal request from Morocco. Other countries offering assistance include Turkey where more than 50,000 people died from earthquakes in February. Morocco has declared three days of mourning. King Mohammed VI has publicly thanked countries who have sent aid, including Spain, Qatar, the United Kingdom, and the United Arab Emirates. He called for prayers for the dead to be held at mosques across the country. The WHO estimates that more than 300,000 people have been affected by the disaster. Cost MNS,
1: NTD News. Our thoughts go out to the victims and families affected.
0: Yes, and now we're going over to Malcolm Hudson in the UK for some short headlines from around the world.
10: Good morning, Evelyn and Kevin. UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said he had raised his concerns over Chinese interference in Britain's democracy during a meeting with Chinese Premier Li Qiang at the G20 summit in India. This after the arrest of two alleged spies. Lawmakers have named one suspect, a researcher in the British Parliament who worked with senior lawmakers. An ailing American researcher stranded in a cave in Turkey has been brought halfway to the surface. Italian rescue teams said they successfully carried Mark Dickey on a stretcher up from the depths of over 3,000 feet to 2,300 feet. He's now resting at a base camp before another team continues the taxing journey. The beleaguered Spanish Soccer Federation chief has quit. Luis Rubiales said yesterday he will resign from his position as president, saying his position has become untenable. He has been engulfed in a scandal after a player accused him of kissing her without consent last month during Women's World Cup final celebrations. Niger's new military leaders accuse France of amassing forces for a possible military intervention in the country following the coup in July. French President Emmanuel Macron said he would only take action at the demand of the deposed Nigerian leader. Russia yesterday wrapped up regional elections, including in regions annexed from Ukraine. Authorities said they delivered strong support for President Vladimir Putin amidst criticism of vote-rigging. Kiev and the West have denounced balloting in the occupied areas as a violation of international law. That's all from me. Back to you, Evelyn. Kevin?
1: Well, I'm glad they're making progress on getting the caver out.
0: Oh, yeah, must be a huge breath of relief for that guy. Yes. Thank you, Malcolm, for your good reporting. We're heading into break now. Uh, The convicted murderer who escaped from a Pennsylvania prison more than a week ago remains at large. Authorities have now issued a reward of $20,000 for information leading to his capture.
1: It was branded as a Twitter killer at the time of its inception, but now social media site Threads is struggling to get traction. A social media professor tells us why after the break.
0: Welcome back to Pennsylvania, where despite multiple d- sightings and manhunt involving hundreds of police, an escaped prisoner remains at large.
1: The convicted murderer has now been on the loose from a Pennsylvania prison for over 10 days.
0: The escaped convict is in the country illegally. He was able to slip outside the police perimeter in a stolen van he abandoned later. He, was, he has also tried to contact two former co-workers with no success. Neither of them were home at the time of his visit. The doorbell camera of one of them showed the escapee has changed his looks.
1: He's now clean-shaven and was last seen wearing a bright green hooded sweatshirt. The man is considered dangerous, and people are warned not to approach him if spotted. Police are asking residents to secure their homes and cars. A reward for $20,000 is being offered for information leading to his capture.
0: And a Michigan football coach has been suspended over allegations of sexual harassment. Mel Tucker allegedly sexually harassed activist and rape survivor Brenda Tracy during a phone call last year. He was suspended without pay less than 24 hours after the allegations became public.
1: Michigan State University officials announced their decision pending the results of an outside investigation into the allegations.
0: The complaint was investigated by a Title IX attorney hired by the university. The investigation concluded on July 25th.
1: An initial hearing is scheduled for the first week of October, which will determine if Tucker acted in violation of the school's sexual harassment and exploitation policy. Tucker is the second Big Ten football coach to find himself at the center of a scandal in three months. A new lawsuit from Elon Musk's X corporation accuses California of violating First Amendment rights.
0: That's over a requirement that social media platforms must provide detailed reports to the state. They must tell the California State Attorney General how their content moderation systems work, how they define content categories such as hate speech and others, and also how much content gets flagged or removed. The lawsuit seeks a jury trial to determine the legal validity of the California law.
1: Governor Newsom commented on the law last year in a statement to CNN. He said California will not stand by as social media is weaponized to spread hate and disinformation that threatens communities and values as a country. He said the action brings much needed transparency and accountability to the policies that shape the social media content. Meta's new app to rival Twitter is struggling to get traction. We're going to look at reasons for this, where the company might be taking it, and concerns over free speech. Joining me now is Andrew Selipak, a professor of social media at the University of Florida. Thank you for your time, Andrew. Let's talk threads. So Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg, he's obviously very good at this. Facebook did really well. Instagram, threads not so much. Why is that?
11: Well, one of the things that we saw with Threads is that there was a huge uh, amount of interest in it right off the bat. You know, 100 million new users within you know just a very short period of time. And then I think what most of those people who so easily were able to join Threads saw was that it was a very scaled down, a very kind of beta version of Twitter. And there didn't really seem to be a real... Need to add threads to your social media mix when you already had Twitter, now X, uh, and without all the features.
1: Yeah, that rise time for 100 million signups was just five days, so that's a huge, meteoric rise. But then in just one month, it was down about 80%. So where does that leave threads here? Are they going to continue this investment?
11: Well, I think one of the things we'll see is that at the moment, Meta can't just completely let it die. Um, And there's a couple reasons for that. One is it would be a huge embarrassment. Uh, Two, because they did release what was a very scaled-down beta version, they're slowly continuing to add more features, adding a desktop version. Uh, Just recently, you now can get a Threads sort of feed in your Instagram feed, which isn't necessarily a good thing because it's potentially taking people off of Instagram, which. Meta makes money from and bringing them over to Threads, which Meta doesn't make any money from. Uh, but they're continuing to add more options and features, hoping that people will start using it or at least can go back to using it other than just signing up for it in the first place.
1: A lot of hope there. Now that back in my day, I mean, MySpace hit the scene and it didn't really have that much traction. But then Facebook came along and Trump, the pioneer in the industry and did really well. Twitter here obviously did well, and then now Threads, what some are calling a copycat, really isn't. So how do you explain this phenomenon?
11: Well, remember, MySpace came out before Facebook. It was the predecessor. So it was replaced by something that was better. Twitter is out first, Threads is supposed to kind of replicate with a Facebook model of being better, and it's just not. Um, You know, there's, there's a huge difference between looking at sort of 2003 to 2005 in the social media world, where there's very limited options versus today. One of the big things to keep in mind is that people are accustomed to doing what they do. And when you suddenly add a new platform to the mix, that has to be replaced by spending less time on another platform, and us being sort of creatures of habit, most of us decided we didn't want to do it.
1: So let's talk about censorship. This is a huge topic in the news right now. Do you think that Threads has an advantage for having tighter content moderation with the risk of being accused of censorship like the Twitter files journalist, or does Twitter have the advantage under Musk's rule, said now to be a free speech platform?
11: Well, I think it depends on what you're looking for. I mean, under Twitter, X, what you're getting is a lot more people being more open to speak. It's more of a public sphere, whereas meta has always been very limiting on the content that it will allow people to post. The most significant example would be pornography. But we're still talking about a limitation on what can be said, more moderation, more censorship on the platform. So. In terms of which one's going to allow more free speech, it's obviously going to be Twitter, it's going to be X, as opposed to anything that's coming out of Meta. Where's the advantage of either one? Well, you probably don't get into as much trouble from different lobbying groups, uh, if you're meta, then if you're Twitter, uh, Twitter's currently, uh, I believe Elon Musk po- posted just last night that he's going to be suing the ADL. Um, you know, something like that basically means you're going to be constantly in the courtroom and meta doesn't necessarily have to deal with the same thing, but people have to realize your voice is going to be tampered down. It's going to be limited on a meta platform.
1: Well, very interesting insight here. Andrew Sullipak, social media professor at the University of Florida. Thank you.
11: Thank you.
0: Really interesting interview, I have to say. It just sounds like it's hard to compete with somebody already established or a product that's already established if you can't really offer this clear, uh, you know, added value or a uniqueness that you have as a feature.
1: Yeah, it has to set itself apart, of course. And you know, one thing's for sure: social media is popular. I mean, it's three billion people on Facebook, about half billion on Twitter. It's just that it seems like Threads hasn't gotten that popularity. Yeah. Heading into break now, a strike against all three major automakers looming in Metro Detroit. How likely is it, and how could it impact consumers? Entity business host Don Ma has the latest.
0: And a volunteer firefighter recounts the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001. 22 years later, he's helping raise awareness for those struggling with PTSD. That's after the break. Good to have you back. A possible strike on Detroit automakers looms this week. A survey of 99 investors by Morgan Stanley found that 82 percent were expecting a strike. Here to discuss is NTD's business host Don Motts.s Good to see you, Don. Yeah, is good it
6: morning, likely? Evelyn.
0: Good morning. Is it likely that we'll see a strike this week? and what would be the impacts on consumers, of course?
6: Right. So you already mentioned that there's a 82 percent of uh, investors e- expecting a strike. But on top of that, uh, nearly 60 percent surveyed believe that a stoppage was extremely, extremely likely. Evelyn. But personally, I'm hopeful that uh, we won't see a strike because the union president said he wants to avoid one. But you know. If a strike does indeed happen, the impacts would be noticeable by some consumers, especially those in the market for a new car. Uh, Because, first of all, uh, UAW contract talks could cause wage inflation in the range of 20 to 40% over the next four-year period, and that could be passed on to consumers. And second of all, the Detroit 3 automakers account for about uh, 40% of new U.S. light vehicle sales by units. So, you know, auto supply could potentially be also impacted, especially those uh, popular models uh, could become even scarcer if a strike drags on, which could then uh, end up costing consumers if dealers charge more than the sticker price. But Evelyn, the good news here is that if the strike is short or limited to only certain factories, that isn't likely to raise prices for most vehicles.
0: A difficult uh, balance to strike there. So, what's the dynamic between the union of auto workers and the car makers? Who has the advantage?
6: Yeah, it's hard to say right now because uh, the companies have plenty of cash on hand to withstand a strike. You know, GM, Ford, and Stellantis uh, have continued to run their factories around the clock to build up supplies on dealer lots. Um, So at the end of August, the three automakers collectively had enough vehicles to last uh, for about 70 days. Um, But that doesn't mean a strike isn't going to hurt them because according to some estimates, if a strike against all three companies lasted just 10 days, it would cost them nearly a billion dollars. So during the past, uh, during a 40, 40 day UAW strike in 2019, GM alone lost $3.6 billion. So, you know, who has the advantage? You know, it's hard to say.
0: yeah. Thank you so much, Don, for today's update. I really appreciated it, as usual.
6: Yeah, thank you, Evelyn. Have a great day.
0: On September 11th, 19, 2001, 19 members of Al-Qaeda hijacked four commercial airliners, crashing two into the World Trade Center.
1: Terrorists flew a third plane into the Pentagon while the fourth flight crashed in a field in Pennsylvania after passengers courageously fought back against the hijackers.
0: NTD's Andrew Thomas spoke with a volunteer firefighter who was on the ground that day when nearly 3,000 people were killed.
5: Tuesday morning, New York City, September 11, 2001 volunteer firefighter rob weisberg had just arrived at the world trade center when
3: a bang cut through the calm clear skies i thought it was a car bomb okay um the explosion was was really loud like most new yorkers
5: weisberg didn't know that al-qaeda terrorists had crashed american airlines flight 11 into the north tower but then he heard united airlines flight 175 accelerate right over him before hitting the south tower Several minutes later, he looked up to see fighter jets, thinking they were another wave of attacks. But then he saw a star on the side of what he realized were American military aircraft.
3: I'll never forget the lead pilot, his helmet was white. You know, for them to be that low and coming that fast and to have such clear visibility on these guys was, uh, Pretty crazy.
5: Weisberg headed across Lower Manhattan's Liberty Street to FDNY Firehouse 10. He set up triage and
3: began treating over 40 people. Some injuries were severe. But then I had one uh, individual with a broken pelvis. I had one woman who was caught in a fireball. Okay, so she was severely burned over majority of her body. Weisberg asked to join the search and rescue efforts, but the fire captain told him to keep
5: treating patients.
3: And I remember being a little disappointed that I wasn't going across the street because I figured that would be a good spot for me. And uh, I remember watching those guys go across the street, eight guys, and uh, they all got killed within the next five minutes in that first collapse.
5: The debris from the collapse flooded the firehouse. Weisberg says it felt like someone was pouring sand down his throat.
3: At that point, it was just like, like I said, we're suffocating. We can't see our hands in front of our face. And just like, keep working till you drop. Do the best you can, hold your breath as long as you can. Before
5: he knew it, one of the plane's engines came through the roof of the firehouse, crushing an
3: ambulance. I thought it was gonna be like a bowling ball just coming through and, uh, you know, taking people along with it. Weisberg couldn't see
5: anything, but he had a mental layout of the firehouse. He managed to find a door which led to an emergency exit and guided people into the alley behind the building. I get
3: to the back wall with doors, and I'm feeling around, and all of a sudden I'm like, "Oh I'm feeling hinges." So oh, in my head my training, hinges tells me the door opens towards me. In the years following 9/11, Weisberg has endured
5: post-traumatic stress. He says when people have something like a heart issue, everyone talks
3: about it, not
5: so much with mental health.
3: And I say to people, the brain controls everything else. So the one organ that controls everything, that's the one organ you can't talk about. <laughs> you know, if you're having a problem, it doesn't make
5: any sense. He says he's found some solace in being outdoors. So Weisberg embarked on a 2,200 mile journey across the Appalachian Trail. He teamed up with nonprofit Pause of War, The organization helps veterans and first responders by rescuing, training, and adopting out service dogs. He hopes to continue to raise awareness and funds
3: for those impacted by PTSD. I just want people to walk away with the idea that forget about any stigma, it shouldn't be there, and get help, whatever the situation is. When asked how he and other first responders were able to keep their
5: composure on that catastrophic September day, he simply responds, it's what we do. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: Some heavy stuff there. I think I can speak for everybody here when I say we really deeply want to express our gratitude to all the men and women that helped out that day.
1: Yes, they just risked their lives. And as I mentioned, my family and I were there weeks after the attack, and it looked like it just happened yesterday.
0: That's incredible. Yeah. I can't imagine.
1: There were checkpoints with police on the outskirts. And then as you get closer, it was just armed military to keep any looters or anyone else out of there.
0: I always gives me goosebumps. Well, we're moving on into break now. The winners unveiled for the 10th NTD Classical Chinese Dance Competition. NTD's Chris Spears brings us the stories of the Grand Champions. That's after the break. Welcome back everyone, if you love daring flips, graceful leaps, and the wisdom of the ancient world, then you'll love this next story.
1: Over the weekend, dancers from the world gathered in New York for the finals of the 10th NTD International Classical Chinese Dance Competition. Our very own Chris Beers was there.
12: Grand champions of dance, the 10th NTD International Classical Chinese Dance Competition is complete. Let's take a look at some of the winners and their performances. Grace Rubacek won the gold award in the junior female division. What piece did she perform? It's just
13: called Spring. Mm. And uh, yeah, I was inspired by the the feeling I get when I walk around outside in nature. Like it feels very free and just very, calm, at least when I go outside. Mm. And I really like that feeling, so I decided to put that into a like a story piece.
12: Grace uses a special technique to make her dance come to life.
13: If you just use your arms or just your head to do the action, it's not as clear as if you use your body too, because mm. then the audience can see your whole, like, what you're feeling is more clear. Because your whole body has the same feeling, not just like one part. Your whole body is like expressing what you, you're
12: feeling. Lucas Browdy won gold for the junior male division. He chose a piece about the famous Chinese general Yue Fei.
1: The story is, you know, he's claiming back lost land, you know. He's def- undefeated in battle, and uh, he's almost there, back to the capital, old capital, and so right as he to achieve his goal, right? He gets 12 imperial edicts, you can't, you can't ignore those. So all, he's a saying in Chinese, he said which means 10 years of hard work gone in an instant.
12: Adult Division Silver Award winner David Xiao says this about his
1: piece. My dance this year is about, uh, in Chinese it's called What I'm trying to portray in this dance is uh, Basically, on earth, uh, you should try to be lighthearted because in the end, no matter what you go through, uh, you're going to go towards, if, you, if you're a good person, then you're going to go higher. You're going to go towards the heavens. Our goal from, uh, from this dance is to show everyone uh, the traditional values of uh, Chinese culture and that humans and then heavens is connected. We
12: also hear from Ryan Joe, bronze award winner from the junior male division.
10: Like through dance, I've learned too, so many differences
1: in like my worldview. It's like one is to be able to let go of myself, one to think about others, one to be able to take more pain, one to be able to be more responsible.
12: This concludes our coverage of the 10th NTD International Classical Chinese Dance Competition. I'm Chris Beers, reporting from the Performing Arts Center at Purchase College in Purchase, New York, for NTD News.
1: The competition is part of a series of events hosted by NTD in support of traditional culture. For those who missed the event, a recap is available at NTD.com.
0: That's right, and stay tuned for highlights after the show on NTD's cable channel.
1: Yes, don't want to miss it, and I just love how the women demonstrate such grace in their movements and the men such power and strength.
0: Yeah, really interesting also the level of depth that is behind the movement. So good job, everybody. Well, congratulations to the winners. Uh, Seems like it was some rough competition there. Ditto. All right, that's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at NTD.com. Write us an email with feedback if you'd like. Thanks for watching.
1: I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.